one of the biggest career killers for marketers is to have to market a product that is not very good. That and also when we get the positioning wrong. Let's dive in to how we can get the positioning for a product right. Join me for this episode of the Business Storytelling Podcast. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture, the new number one public relations book out there on Amazon. Today, I'm joined by Zach Messler. He is a strategic messaging and positioning expert in the D.C. area. Zach, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Christoph. Really glad to be here. So I ran across Zach. I didn't know him until, I don't know, a few weeks ago, but he shared something very um, enlightening on, I think it was on LinkedIn, about brand positioning and, and, and marketing. What if your brand is off? What if your positioning is off? And I certainly run across that all the time. So let's, you know, I thought you guys would be interested in hearing some of those tips from him and some of his wisdoms. So, Zach, first of all, what does that mean when your uh, positioning is off? How does that happen and how does that look in real life? Oh, your positioning. So positioning is how you want to show up in the mind of your audience. Right. So when you when you position something, it's you it's, it's not just the words, it's the the feel of it. How do you want to show up? It's almost it's it's slightly off of the overall brand, but the positioning is sh- how you show up. So when the when a positioning is off, for example, I'll use a, a piece of technology for an example. The the post I think you might have seen I talked about never use the word tool when describing a technology because you use tool and it makes sense. You think of, of technology as an enabler, technology as a tool, but if you use that word, you're positioning that technology as a commodity because what's a tool? A tool is a screwdriver. If I need a screwdriver, then I go to the hardware store and I look for the cheapest screwdriver I can find and I buy it. And, and so that's, that's positioning. Positioning is I want to be, I want to show up in a certain way in my audience's mind. So very interesting. I actually have a category on my blog called tools. <laughs> I don't talk about hammers and screwdrivers, but I, but I talk about software <laughs> in that category. So um, I think that happened because that's more and more common. Everybody says we're the best tool on the market or whatever. And very interesting. I never thought about that because, you know, I have hammers in my house, but I couldn't tell you what brand they are. They're just I bought the cheapest hammer that I thought would help me um, beat that nail into the wall. Um, so especially when it comes to software, what like what are some tips? How should they position their product instead? So looking at it instead of a tool. Right. There, there are tons of other words. I just had a call with a guy uh, last Friday and his his technology is amazing. It's predictive analytics and there's some artificial intelligence in there, like all these whiz bang, cool uh, you know, tech stuff, uh, all the, the buzzwords. But he's he has them and they're real. And he kept talking about the tool. And I said to him, well, stop calling it the tool. Start calling it the tech or the technology, because then you're not, you're not pulling away from the value of it. When you call something a tool, like you said, I don't know the brand of the hammer. I don't really care. It's a hammer. <laughs> Whereas 
if we if we called the hammer something else, I, you wouldn't call a hammer the tech, but if you called the hammer something else and it wasn't categorized as a tool, something that I can go you know and and buy for five bucks at the store, ten bucks at the store, then it would come across in a much different way. So the word the word tool is really really what's making that positioning off and using just about any other word will make more sense. Now you can find that word by diving into your audience. How does your audience talk about the problem that they have that, that you address? Um, how do they talk about what that solution could look like to them? And you can pull out some of those words and then you'll know, I can't tell you what those words are because it really depends on the situation. Of course, sometimes you can pick good words, but if there's no need in the market, right, you're still not going to sell anything. Well, that's right. That's right. Well, that's why audience research is so important and really understanding. And I like to say become your audience. Don't just understand your audience, but walk around in their shoes. Take that perspective. That's really one of the things that it's a dirty little secret in marketing, right? So everybody talks about audience research or, you know, buyer personas or, or um, audience research, buyer journey. People like to talk about that stuff, but nobody really wants to do the work. It's work, <laughs> but, you know, and so no one really does the work. They do it on a surface level, but they don't dive in too deep. And when you dive in deeper, that's when you find these words and you find these phrases that, if you use them, you pull the words of your audience in and then throw it back out at your audience, then that's when you resonate. That's when you start hearing stuff like, oh my gosh, yes, you're in my head. <laughs> um, you know, so of course, no matter what the product is, whether it's software or something else or an experience, and I, I did actually blog about a related topic over on authenticstorytelling.net before, what is the quickest career killer for a marketer? when they have to promote a product that stinks, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. And like the marketing team wasn't necessarily involved in the product development and then they go out there and I was actually just on a, on a call the other day and they said, we only sold like three, you know, on this last campaign. And, and then, you know, this is what's gonna lead me to my next question for you. When I dove in what they were actually advertising, it didn't make any sense. You know what I mean? They were yeah. saying, um, we're offering this. And what it actually was doing was something completely different. It didn't make any sense. Um, so, so why does that happen? And how do we get out of, that, uh, out of that problem, out of that barrier? So that's also a disconnect then between not so much on the marketing side, but on the product, product development side. It is a marketing issue, but it's more upstream. Um, so that happens when there's not enough audience research, not enough R&D or product research into the challenge and the problem. Like You can see this all the time where you have a product-driven company versus a market-driven company. So a product-driven company is, oh, our, our product, I always look at this from a tech perspective only because I, that's the world that I come from, but it doesn't really matter what it is. But um, whether it's a product, a service, uh, an experience, it, it doesn't matter. Being market-driven, it fixes that. So looking at things from the perspective of your audience, perspective of the market that you want to serve, 
and understanding the the challenges that they face. Every product solves a problem or, or, or addresses an issue. Even if you don't think it does, it's, it's kind of philosophical, right? So if I want gum, right, gum, look at chewing gum. You might not think, oh, chewing gum doesn't solve a problem. Chewing gum does solve a problem. It solves the problem of, hey, I really feel like having chewing gum right now. I don't have it. That's the problem. It addresses that problem. It addresses that. Maybe you could say need instead of a problem. But when you're product-driven versus market-driven, so you're more focused on your stuff than how your stuff addresses a need or a problem in the market, that's when that happens. And how do companies... I mean, it's easy, right? I mean, I even... I'll give you another example. I was just doing an article... On, so every marketer wants to obviously convert unknown traffic to known traffic, right? Sure. On their website. And so marketers throw this term around all the time, you know, known traffic. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do an article on this. And guess how many people search for known traffic? <laughs> Zero. 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 <laughs> so what's... So I'm running around, right? And, I'm, and I still use the term in the article because people use it, right? So at some yeah. point, somebody... But I didn't make it my focus keyword phrase, right? Because I'm like, that is so weird. Like if people talk about it, but nobody searches for it, what are they searching for, right? Is it um, how to get more customers, right? Maybe that's it. Maybe that's how it fits in. Um, but... When you ask me if I didn't do any research, if I didn't think about it, I would have just been like, how to get more known traffic. And I would be, I'd be like, why is nobody reading this article? Well, see, and <laughs> that's, that right there is the perfect example of audience research and the need for it. Because there's such nuance in how people talk about things and how you talk about it may be very different than how your audience talks about it. You know, they, they clearly, you know, nobody's searching for known traffic. Like you said, they're searching for something else. They, they're thinking about known traffic. They just have a different way of, of talking about it. Right. But if I'm selling a new book on known traffic, it will never sell. That's right. Well, that's right. <laughs> even if the market, even if the, there's a need for it in the market, because the words that you're using aren't positioning it in the right way. Very interesting. So let's talk about um, things being commoditized. And I know that happens all the time. I'm actually, uh, so I'm, I, I'm doing a half a month in May here through Ger uh, Germany and Spain for two conferences. And as we were talking about um, content marketing, you know, which like 10 years ago or whatever, nine years ago, everybody was talking about, oh, it's so different than advertising. And they said to me, you just want to be very aware that content marketing is getting more and more commoditized, right? And everybody does it now. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you stand out when, and, and I would say maybe it's okay to stay with a software train of thought here, but software is very similar, right? I mean, like somebody asked me the other day, what do you use for um, project management? And I said, oh, I love Basecamp now. I didn't used to. Um, I Jira is okay. I didn't used to like that either. But there are other tools. So if you use another tool, I'll use that. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean? you're but you're the the consumer of it. So if the consumer's mm -hmm. talking about it as a tool, then they already see it as a commodity. 
And so when you're right. presenting it as a marketer or a salesperson, if you're presenting a software to your customer, to your prospect as a tool, well, then you're just feeding into that. And then you're, you're not seen as ever, any different from all those other things. You just talked about Basecamp and Jira and comparing it to these other tools. Well, they're all lumped in there for, to you. And, you know, so if I'm, if I'm a, again, if I'm a marketer or a salesperson, I don't want to feed into that. You don't, you don't want to hear me say that on a podcast. No, um, for sure. But, right. But how do we, but how do marketers stay ahead of that? Right. How do they, like, how do they not make it sound like a tool other than not using the term tool? How do they stay above and beyond? And, you know, like, oh, I really, I mean, let's think about Apple for a minute. So I'm, I'm standing here. We're recording this. I'm on my iPhone, right, in the Anchor app. I have my iPad in front of me on my stand-up desk. I don't even have a laptop, Zach. I don't believe it or not. I don't even use the laptop. So I got the the laptop, not the laptop, the iPad in front of me. Your profile, I have that up. Um, And I'm I'm an Apple guy, right? So if you were to say to me, Christoph, switch to Google or whatever, I'd be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's the difference, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So how do marketers get there? What, what are some tips that we can? Well, first, the first piece of it, of course, is understanding your audience. So I, I like to uh, answer three questions. And I mean, the, it's, it's super important before anything to understand your, the essence of your offering. You know, I, I use the term product. It doesn't have to be product. I use product for anything. It's, it could be product. It could be service. It could be experience. It could even be idea. But what is it? Just at the, at the core, what is this thing? And this is foundational. So this doesn't matter if it's software. This doesn't matter if it's, you know, anything. It, does, it doesn't matter. So content marketing, for example, what is it? And it's answering that question literally and it, in as few words as possible. What is it? And then the question, the next question to answer is what does it do? Same thing, as literal as possible, as quick as possible. Um, and then the final question is why does it matter? Why does it matter to my audience? You know, whether whoever I'm, I, I want to convey this information to. So for for a company, that could be an external audience of buyers. That could be an external audience of the media or analysts. It could be an internal audience of a sales team or the executive team or the employees at large, research and development. But it's, it's important to focus on that audience. Why does it matter? You may have answered that question, why does it matter for multiple audiences? And that's okay. But then the, the, the answering by answering why does it matter, you have to talk a little about what it is and what it does. Now, this isn't an exercise where you're going to take this information and then throw it out there as, as promoting your product. That's not what it's intended for. But it's intended to get to the essence of your offering. You can't position your offering in the way that your audience needs to hear it if you don't understand your product at its essence in the first place. Don't forget, you can order my new book, Content Performance Culture, which was listed at number one in new releases for public relations books on Amazon. Or if you're in the United States, feel free to order a signed copy at the following link, paypal.com 
bit.ly forward slash ctrap, C-T-R-A-P-P-E forward slash 12. And then, Zach, once they figure that out, what is the essence of the product? How, how do they move that forward and get it out into the market? What, what tips do you have when it comes to that? So it's connecting to the audience. And that's, that's really the important piece of this essence. This is all, this is product marketing is really what it is. It's connecting the core values, the essence of your product to the core values, the essence of your audience. And, and that's the next step. That's where that why it matters is so important. And there's a, you know, there's a certainly a way to do that. I mean, it's, it's, um, there's really a formula to that, which is context problem solution. So it used to be that you could talk about your product and all the whiz bang cool features and people would say, Ooh, that's cool. I want that. Um, you know, and, and I, again, I think often think in the, the world of technology, so maybe not whiz bang cool features, but capabilities, uh, so pitching the features, feature benefit was taught forever in, in mm-hmm. biz school, feature benefit, feature benefit, feature benefit. Then it flipped and it was, no, you have to talk about the benefit that's driven by the feature benefit, feature benefit driven by feature. And then, and that worked for a while, doesn't work anymore. Then where a lot of people are stuck today, it became the problem solution paradigm. So, oh, okay. I'm going to talk about the problem in the market. And then how we address that, which makes a lot of sense. But that doesn't work the way that it used to either because people read problem solution or hear problem, hear you pitching a problem um, and they're tuned into it. Oh, you're selling me something. And so the way to do it today is context problem solution. And this is where doing that audience research, becoming your audience, taking your audience's perspective is so important. Because context is that piece that that helps you say, hey, we're in this together. I'm I'm one of you. You're one of me. We're we're in this together. And then talking problem solution. Because then what happens is you build that trust with your audience. And sometimes that can happen with a single sentence if you get the words right. Mm -hmm. But you build that trust with your audience. And then they're ready to hear about what you want to talk about it's it's almost preparing your audience to hear your message and sometimes it's as simple sometimes not all the time sometimes it's as simple as putting a just a a couple words in front of what you talk about like picture this you're blah 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 you know you're a uh i don't know you're you're a a a person who doesn't like chewing gum (laughs) it doesn't you know what i mean picture this By saying picture this, instead of telling someone what they are, which people don't really like, like, who are you to tell me what I I am? Mm -hmm. By using the words picture this, all of a sudden, you're you're having them picture it. It's super simple. There there are other tactics, other ways to do that. But the, the core of it is context, problem, solution. So this is also context, problem, solution. And so that's sometimes when, so for example, I have um, a program I do. I mean, as you know, I, I like to travel. I like to cover things, right? Traditionally a journalist. Um, so one of the packages I have is cover a conference for a brand, right? So what I do at times 
is when I see sponsors, I reach out to sponsors and say, hey, do you, are you interested in talking about this? And it's interesting because sometimes people write back, you're pitching something on the first message to me. How annoying, <laughs> right? And then sometimes people write back, they go, awesome, yes. Can we talk <laughs> yesterday? So it's because what I'm actually doing, right? And I think a lot of people, in, the, in that case at least, I don't have the context. I'm guessing, or not even guessing, I'm hoping. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. right. I'm hoping the context is right. And then to, for some of them, I'm actually solving a problem for them. And for others, I'm just being annoying. So, so how, do, how do marketers get that right? I mean, how do you know? So it's, it's first of all, it's thinking, it's the research really, but it's, it's mm -hmm. to answer your question, the highest level. But the, the reason why the context is so important is because if you're just tossing out the problem or just tossing out the solution, then you're only going to get or only going to to get a response from or get a, a, a um, or hit on that audience that is already in that state of mind is already looking at the problem or already looking for a solution. What context can do is context can set tee that up and set that up and it opens you up to a broader audience. So in that scenario, would it be better if I use what you mentioned and say something like, imagine if you can get even more return out of your event attendance or event sponsorship? So that, well, yes and no. I mean, imagine, mm -hmm. yes, that but there's all these yes buts it's, yep you know you hear you hear all this yes and this is not a yes and this is a yes but imagines <laughs> one of those words that's just overused mm -hmm. it's been overused to the point where when people see and picture this will that will eventually become that way too but when i see something that says imagine you could bu, 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 bu. yeah you're selling me something <laughs> but it's the right idea it's definitely the right idea. One thing I want to clarify when I say a broader audience, you know, you hear a lot where uh, people say, oh, you should, should get really focused on the audience that you want to serve and, and getting granular is, is a good thing. And I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. When I, it's, it's easier. When you're uh, dealing with a smaller audience, it's much easier because there, there are less variables to, to worry about or think about. Um, when I say you open yourself up to a broader audience, I'm talking about the broader audience within that audience. So instead of just those that are ready to buy or those that are, are, are exploring how to address their need or their, their challenge, you're opening it up to a piece of your market share of, of um, unaware buyers, people that don't even realize that they have this problem or don't even realize that they have this need. I mean, I deal with this in my business all the time because with messaging and positioning, people don't realize they have a problem. They don't think that they have a problem. Right. You, I mean, you might just be going along, right? Stuck in a rut or um, a routine, I guess. So um, how do you, one of the, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I read somewhere. So, so I am a believer in having personas, knowing who you're writing for, right? Um, and, and being focused. But the other day, I, I also read something, I don't remember who it was, but they said, you really need to learn how to reach a broader audience because especially in B2B, um, 
you're not just selling to one person. So for example, if I'm saying I want to reach the CMO because the CMO is buying, you know, whatever I'm offering, the CMO might be the one signing the statement of work, but that person is, might not be the only person making the decision, right? I mean, I, I just had an example where I said, I was talking to the CMO and the CMO said, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. And I sent them the proposal and then they, all of a sudden there were eight people involved mm-hmm. who were not CMOs, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So how do you, how do you kind of mend those, um, the reality of especially B2B buying? So there, you're, you're absolutely right. It is a, often in B2B a group buy. And there's no simple way around this. It's understanding <laughs> your audience. It's doing the work. And so you might have a persona for a CMO, but you also then need to have a persona for that director of marketing, for the R&D person who's, who's involved in the decision, um, for the, the CFO or the, the person looking at it from a financial perspective, the operations person. So it's, it's understanding those different audiences and then creating messages and creating content that applies to them, that, that they can, they can um, relate to. There's no easy way to it. It's just, more, it, it's looking at it from a holistic standpoint where, okay, I have, here's my buying group. I got to focus most of my efforts around this, the CMO, because that's the main decision maker or whoever the main decision maker may be. But I also need to understand the challenges and the problems, the needs that all of these other people in the audience in, in this buying group have. So it's, it's understanding what are the objections that they are going to come up with and being able to refute those or, or parry those. It's understanding why they care about this. This is when, when I said before, why it matters. Answering that question, why it matters, you may have multiple answers to this question because you have multiple audiences that you have to satisfy. And sometimes it's hard to know who they are, right? Because the development manager has a very different goal and different agenda than let's say the marketing specialist, right? Second year out of college. Um, So yeah, it's never, never been harder. So let's summarize the the steps to, to be, uh, to get your brand positioning, right? Um, Number one was what again? So it's, it's understanding the offering. This is all product marketing stuff. So I, Mm -hmm. I came up with this over, I was in, product marketing for tech for 20 years um, came up with this because I'm not technical at all. And I needed to understand my offering, my product that I was marketing deeply so that I could teach salespeople to sell it to a non-technical audience. And so that I could also market it to a non-technical audience. So those three questions are, what is it? What does it do? And why does it matter? I wrote a piece on it, which I can share with you and uh, you know share with listeners if you're interested yes we uh, send that link we'll share that in the show notes for sure right, right. um fantastic zach where can people find you on the web where, where can they connect with you so they can connect with me at zachmessler.com that's z-a-c-h zachmessler.com or i'm on linkedin quite a bit yep awesome that's what we connected all right. Well, thank you for joining us. Great insights, great wisdom. And of course, you know, I mean, we're the first to admit marketing and really having that performance culture is harder and harder. So work with the product team. Make sure you have a good message for your, um, for your product. 
don't call it a tool because tools are commoditizable. That's uh, that's my biggest takeaway as well. I use that term all the time. Yeah. Zach, thanks for joining us. Thanks everyone for listening. Until next.